Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Among the teachings of the church, there are many that are controversial, some because they're countercultural, others just because they're difficult. So on the one hand, throughout the history of the church, there have been some very strong feelings about doctrinal matters, such as the possibility of expending eternity apart from God in what we call hell, the existence of three divine persons in one Godhead, the Trinity. During the time of the Arian heresy, so we're talking about the third, fourth, and fifth centuries, people were martyred and exiled because they affirmed the divinity of Jesus Christ, so a doctrinal matter. Or during the time of the iconoclast heresies, people were tortured because they thought that it was legitimate or permissive to depict God in the form of art, and other people said you shouldn't do that. So there are very strong feelings about these different teachings or in the liturgical practices. You know, these days people sometimes have strong feelings about whether the mass should or should not be in the vernacular. And the strong feelings that might be closer to home about that matter are nothing compared to what's going on in India in the Syro-Malabar Catholic Church. So it's Catholic, it's under the Pope. And when Pope Francis said the priests had to celebrate the mass, ad orientum, that is to say facing away from the congregation towards the east, there were riots in the streets. People were very upset about this situation and bishops have been changed in order to try and remedy this great internal rift on account of these liturgical norms. Perhaps some of the more controversial teachings in our day and age are those regarding sexual morality because the Catholic Church is one of the only voices in the West that talks about refraining those concupiscent appetites. But also other moral teachings such as the indissolubility of marriage, it's another one which people have very strong feelings about. But if you reflect about it, what our Lord is teaching us in today's gospel sh should be just as controversial, just as difficult and challenging as any one of those other controversial teachings. Our Lord told us today, do not resist one who does evil and love your enemies. We should have a love for them which is, which is as indiscriminate as the sun and the rain. The sun and the rain, they don't decide who they fall upon or who they affect. It just falls everywhere. It shines everywhere. And that's how our love is supposed to be. We're not supposed to discriminate when it comes to who we love doesn't matter what they've done, the Lord is telling us to love unconditionally, even those who have wronged us. So people who reflect on this can see how it's one of our Lord's most difficult mandates. To understand just how difficult this is, we can consider some victims of violence that Pope Francis met earlier this month in his visit to the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa. Ladislas Kambale Kombi, a 16-year-old boy, said he can't go to sleep at night without seeing the image of his father being beheaded in front of him. But following the spiritual and psychosocial accompaniment of our local church, these are his words, I and the other children who are here in front of the Pope 
have forgiven our captors. That is why I place the cross of Christ the victor, I'm sorry, that is why I place before the cross of Christ the victor the same kind of machete as the one that killed my father. So during this encounter, people who were victims were taking different symbolic objects and putting them in front of a crucifix to symbol their rejection of anger, their refusal to hate in return. Bihu Mukambi Kamala is a 17-year-old girl who was repeatedly assaulted for two years ending in 2020. She asked that the Pope bless her twin girls conceived in these non-consensual interactions. And under the crucifix, she placed a mat so that Christ will forgive me for the condemnations that I have made in my heart against these men. May God forgive us all and teach us respect for human life, she said. And that is astonishing. This girl who went through those horror, horrific years, she's talking about asking forgiveness from God for what she did in her heart, for that hatred and condemnation she held against her captors, while also asking God to forgive the people who did this to her. That is radical. That is, that should be controversial. But this is what the Lord is asking us in our gospel. These are the Christians who heard the words of our first reading in a very different way. In the first reading we heard, you shall never bear hatred for your brother or sister in your heart. These people from the Democratic Republic of the Congo have every reason to hate a lot of people, but they choose not to. Now, there are very few people, thankfully, that have endured horrors of this magnitude, but all of us in this church have enemies of one sort of another. Everybody here has suffered some kind of injustice from somebody. Perhaps that person who did wrong to us was trying to do wrong to us, but perhaps it was just something which they did inadvertently. Regardless, we're all victims of some kind of injustice. And for some people, it's fairly easy to imagine an enemy because of the gravity of the wrongs suffered. There might be a coworker who cheated us out of a position, a spouse who cheated or left us, a friend who divulged an intimate secret, or some random individual who slandered our name. There might not be a mortal enemy of that magnitude in our lives. There might not be somebody that we, who, who has done something of that sort to us. But we've all suffered minor wrongs. People who have become enemies in a momentary fashion, a driver who cut us off, someone who took, takes our lunch at work, a person who cuts the security line at an airport, rude comments are made, dishes are not washed. You know, there's different things which we are offended by, we are hurt by, which affect us in some minor negative way. The radical response of the faithful follower of Jesus Christ to these enemies, both great and small, is non-retaliation. We are to answer unjust aggression with generosity. The way we respond to evil is not with vengeance or retaliation or violence, but with love and generosity. And that's a principle that Christ first taught and was passed on to the early church by St. Paul, where he tells us in the chapter, in the book of Ro in the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And that's what Jesus' recipe is. Quench the evil with a radical and unexpected generosity. So Jesus is here going way beyond that Old Testament expectation. The Old Testament said, you can hurt them as much as they hurt you. The lex talonis. It was a law which was made to say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So if somebody takes your eye, don't take their head, just take their eye. It was meant to limit retaliation. It meant to put a sort of some limits as to what you could do in return, not an approval of retaliation or vengeance. But Jesus is telling us to go further. Don't just limit that. Don't just hold yourself to what justice demands of us, but he's introducing the law of mercy. So this teaching about how to respond to evil is something which is very controversial. Christopher Hitchens, um, you, some of you might have heard of him before. He was a very militant atheist who passed away suddenly in 2011. Uh, he used to say that everything that religion touches is poisoned. That's all that religion is good for. Religion just poisons everything. And he pointed to this particular teaching of our Lord, do not resist the one who does evil, as a clear example of how harmful religion is in society. And if taken at face value and applied to certain circumstances, it does present some problems. Are we supposed to let evil happen and have free reign? Should a parent, for example, whose child is kidnapped offer the other child as well? Because Jesus had turned the other cheek, right? Or should a, should a wife stay with an abusive husband who beats her every day? Ought the people of Nazi Germany and communist Russia have remained silent? Is there any room for a criminal justice system? Should police forces be banned? Because we're not supposed to respond to violence with violence. Are armed forces contrary to the gospel? Now, the short answer is absolutely not, and there's a scriptural way of going about demonstrating this, but just very concisely, looking at what the catechism says brings some enlightenment. It explains that it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Legitimate defense can not only be a right, so you can defend yourself, it's allowed, it's a right that we enjoy as human beings, so legitimate defense can be not only a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. Like, we must defend other people. For example, a husband has to defend his wife and his children. A political leader has a certain obligation to the citizens of his state to defend them against unjust aggressors. And so too about you know, police officers and other individuals of authority. And specifically, the Catechism says, arms can be used to repel aggressors. And there is a duty, quote, a duty to inflict punishment, to defend public order, and protect people's safety. So once again, there is a biblical foundation for all of these pithy statements from the catechism. But when we say, do not resist one who does evil, it is not some sort of advocation of pure passivity, as if we were all called to simply stand by and allow evil to be inflicted upon ourselves or upon our neighbor. The examples of Jesus clarify his teaching about not resisting one who does evil. Because he says, do not resist one who does evil. And then he gives a bunch of examples. 
And so if the teaching itself, if the single line is a little bit confusing, look at the examples. And then from the examples, you'll get some more clarity as, a, as to what our Lord is trying to say there. He said that we should respond to being slapped by turning the other cheek. Now keep in mind, being slapped is not like a form of assault and violence in ancient Palestine, ancient Israel. He says specifically being slapped on the right cheek. Now, if most people are right-handed, if you're gonna slap somebody in front of you with your right hand on their right cheek, the only way to hit them is backhanded. Because you can't really slap them like that. That would be a little bit awkward. That, in Jewish law, there was actually laws about this. This was the most disgraceful form of insult you could give to somebody else. Some people might remember that in 2003, when the US military forces tore down the statue of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad, citizens ran at it with their shoes and they hit the statue with their shoes because that was a very grave form of insult. They wanted to show how much they despised him and so they hit the statue with their shoes. But in the ancient Israel, it was with the backhand, the backhanded slap was the gravest form of insult. So it wasn't supposed to be physically damaging. It was supposed to be an insult, a humiliation. And the Lord is saying, if somebody tries to do that to you, don't try and get them back. You could sue that person for money. And he says, don't take that course of action. Don't take recourse to legal means and demand that you have some sort of compensation for what you have suffered. He said that if somebody sues us for our tunic, we should offer our cloak as well. Now, you could legally sue somebody for their tunic, but it was illegal to sue a man for his cloak. So the cloak was a symbol of something that you had a legal right to. Nobody should touch your cloak. But he's saying, no, do away with your cloak. Cast off that thing you have a legal right to. And the lesson here is to not be so concerned about what you are owed, so emphatically defensive of your rights, as if those were the greatest good in the universe. There are times where we should let go of what we are owed and think more about what we owe think less about our rights and think more about our duties. And finally, if someone forces you to go with them for one mile, go with them for two. Historically, the Romans were legally allowed to oblige the native populace to carry their sacks, to carry their burdens for a mile. That was something which the occupying forces of the Roman Empire were legally allowed to do. So, our Lord is saying, if somebody who you don't like, a Roman, comes up to you and forces you to do something which is difficult, don't just do the bare minimum. Be even more generous with them. They're asking you to do something. You don't like them. They're asking you to do more work for them. Be generous with them. Give more to them. Don't just endure that insult and that inconvenience, but do so with generosity. And so these examples clarify that our Lord is not expecting his followers to be doormats that people walk over. Instead, he's asking us to love in a new way, to love in such a way that we give more than what justice demands of us, or to love in such a way that we abstain from demanding what might be rightfully ours. When somebody hurts us, that doesn't give us the excuse to abstain from helping them. Even if they continue in their harmful behavior, Continue loving them while defending oneself. Love your enemies. So today, ask yourself that question. Who is your enemy? Who has wronged you? 
Have you forgiven them? Do you do good to them and speak well about these people who have previously hurt you? Or do you hold on to that grudge contrary to the command of our Lord? St. John Paul II said the Eucharist was the source of love of neighbor. And so in this Mass, as we come forward to receive his body and blood, let's beg that God Almighty might infuse in us that love of neighbor. Because the Eucharist is offered to all, not just to the good people. It's offered to all of us who are sinners. Christ died on the cross for us all. Every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we're reminded that he died for everybody. And everybody in the state of grace is welcome to come forward to receive his body and blood. So we should not be discriminating between who we love and who we don't love any more than the Lord discriminates between who he gives himself to in Holy Communion. At the foot of the cross, Our Lady had many reasons to hate her son's executioners, but she chose to love. May her prayers help us to love our neighbors unconditionally.